Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're getting you ready for game four of this 2022 Penn State season. Nittany Lions look to remain unbeaten, wrap up non-conference play against Central Michigan. A four-touchdown favorite going into the matchup. Uh, my colleagues Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon will, will be on with us in just a moment. We're going to break down this game a bit from a Penn State perspective. Where do we see the strengths? And there should be a lot of them for the Nittany Lions. What are some potential pitfalls for Penn State as they look to avoid an upset or a letdown performance after a very emotional win and a resounding win at Auburn? We spent a lot of time this week discussing the Tigers matchup. Uh, Josh Pate, in case you missed it, I hope you didn't, was on with us for a while on our Tuesday episode, uh, along with some takeaways from James Franklin's press conference. But a lot of attention still on that Auburn game. Uh, we haven't, we didn't quite shake it off early in the week. Hopefully, Penn State did as they looked forward to Central Michigan. But we're going to do just that now. Uh, additionally, uh, after this segment, we'll talk with Tyler Calvaruzzo about recruiting. There's a, a notable official visit on the docket for Penn State this weekend. Other visitors will be on campus for a game day. Not quite the showing expected that we saw for the home opener against Ohio, or what we expect in October when Ohio State and Minnesota come to town. But nevertheless, something we got to discuss, and, and Tyler will be out and about this weekend, so we'll get some insight uh, from him on the recruiting trail. But let's get into it with Mark and Daniel here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's our pregame episode. We bring it to you on Thursdays and hopefully sometime between now and noon kickoff. You folks will get a chance to listen. Daniel, Mark, we're off the practice field on Wednesday evening. We're uh, now just less than 48 hours away from kickoff, coming off a conversation with John Scott Jr., defensive line coach for the Nittany Lions. We've gathered all the information we're going to get from this week of media coverage. Daniel, let's start with you here. Um, what was your biggest takeaway uh, from the last two, three days of, of getting our feel on this team coming out of the Auburn victory? I think once you get past the freshman running backs, the big thing that's really stood out to me is the defense and kind of the, the conversation that, that's been around that. Um, we talked to a lot of defensive players this week. We had Nick Tarburton uh, after practice Wednesday, uh, safeties Zaki Wheatley and Jalen Reed earlier. And they kind of talked about that this was the this was the defense that they kind of expected to play in, um, that Manny Diaz does a good job of getting everybody reps uh, that was the the big conversation with reed and wheatley that they don't start but they play a ton and so when they go into saturday it, it kind of doesn't matter that they don't have that starting job because they know that they have a role uh, james franklin dropped the little nugget last night that that seven defensive back package that we've heard um, a lot about uh, the past couple of days and weeks is called the prowler package um, and i think uh, talking to john scott jr today he was just very excited about how a lot of those defensive ends and those pass rushers are coming along, especially Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson. Um, and I think the ceiling right now looks very high for this uh, this defense uh, going off what they did against Auburn and kind of how the defense has you know taken that and is taking it forward. John Scott Jr. is always a fantastic interview. I wish we could get him once per week, but this is our first time to do that during the season. Um, I know I at least spoke with him back in August during Penn State's media day out in the field. A lot of the conversation, Mark, at that point was kind of like, well, we wonder what it's going to look like when P.J. Mustafer is back. We wonder what it's going to look like with Adiza Isaac and what it will mean when Chop Robinson starts to transition at defensive end full-time now. And and what what is the night in Sutton and Zane Durant? What's their first few games? Well, now it's all tangible evidence through a few weeks. What stood out to you from our call with, uh, with John Scott Jr., who, by the way, reacted very, very emphatically to your question about Hakeem Beeman, a guy who is not to be forgotten at this stage of the season? Well, well that's the amazing part of it is that if you go, go back to the bowl game, you know, two of the guys who started in the bowl game, uh, Smith Vilbert and Kaziah Izzard, 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 I don't know how you pronounce it, I'm sorry, but... Uh, I didn't say Holmes. I know that much, uh, which we've been doing. But, you know, they're, we're not sure why they're not playing. They've been kind of relegated to the, the foreign team. But the point being, all of those names, Tyler, that you clicked off either didn't play at all last year at Penn State or played very well. You know, P.J. played played four and a half games or four and a quarter games or whatever it was. So it's just amazing to me that when you look at the, the, the impact that they are getting from so many new faces, it's just unbelievable uh, what, what they've been able to get from, from these guys who, who didn't play last year. And I, I think it, it speaks to 
the very difficult situation they were, especially in that bowl game, when you lose AK and he decides to go out early, and when you lose Tangelo, he decides to to not play, not go out early, but to to not play in a bowl to prepare for the draft. When you lose guys like that, you know how much of an impact it had. But in all, you know, going back to what Daniel said, I, I just think the depth of this defense is is been even more than anyone expected outside of a, a couple spots at linebacker there, which we all know about the depth on the defensive line and the depth in the secondary through three games has just been unbelievable. And the willingness of the coaching staff to go deep, to play guys, uh, young players in key positions late in, in games that are tight. Obviously that wasn't the case at Auburn, but uh, you know, against Purdue, it most certainly was. Uh, to, to be able to lean on those defensive players uh, going that deep, I just think is really one of the storylines or the storyline of this season on that side of the ball. John Scott Jr. entered this season with a blend of recovering veterans who needed to, as he would say, knock the rust off, and then a bunch of guys who are unknown commodities, high-level talent, but unknown commodities, and he's getting some answers for three weeks. He feels comfortable with this rotation. Going to be very important getting into Big Ten play because bumps and bruises are weight. We'll, we'll await this team eventually in the trenches. And so shifting back to and, and carrying on that point of the depth, safety came up a lot this week because uh, we did get to speak with uh, Jalen Reed and Zaki Wheatley, uh, you know, two young talents on this team who are certainly ascending. Neither starting. Let's keep noting that Keaton Ellis is a starting safety next to Jair Brown. But, Daniel, in each of those conversations and after talking to Anthony Poindexter, the safeties coach, last week, it's very apparent, like we've been saying in a lot of spots on defense, it doesn't really matter who's out there for the first snap because by the fourth or fifth snap of that series, you're probably going to see the second guy in. I think that you saw what both of those guys are, are capable of and the, the depth on the interception where Jalen Reed chases uh, TJ Finley all the way around uh, the formation, gets the hit on him, and Zaki Wheatley, turnover king or takeaway king, is right there to snag that ball before it hits the ground. Uh, Wheatley was once again asked about kind of his, his nose for the football or the football's nose for him, and he said mm -hmm. that it, it's always kind of been like that. Um, that he credited being a center fielder uh, in baseball and playing wide receiver uh, in terms of what has helped him track the ball and, and keep his eyes on it. So um, I think it was, it was good to hear from both of them at, at this point. Um, they both were really emphasizing that, you know, they know that Keaton won the starting job and they're happy for him. And they know every Saturday that they're going to get reps out there. Um, I think that that's one of the, the cool things about what we've seen from from Manny Diaz and, and mixing and matching some personnel. Um, James Franklin is, you know, he's always quick to mention that we we've done this before. We did this, we did this last year a little bit, but you know, I think we're still seeing some, some new stuff out there and, you know, you can get as much, as much talent on the field when you have as many defensive backs as they have. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this changes as it goes on. Um, you know, how, how they do when they get their opportunities, but the early returns have been really good. It seems like both of them are really confident um, that they, they know their role. And I think for young players, it, it helps when you go into Saturday and, and you know that you're going to play. It's not just, okay, be ready if someone goes down. Um, you know, as, as much as everyone says that they prepare like a starter, it, it's hard to do that when you know that you, know, you're, you might not see the field or it might just be in, in minimal moments. So I think that they go into Saturdays and they know that they're going to play. And I think that that has a trickle down effect uh, for the whole defense. When you get into the depth, when you rotate guys of keeping that level pretty high back there. And by the way, KJ Winston, true freshman, also getting some praise along the way early on in his career, getting a little bit of game action. You really like where that safety room is right now under the former All-American Anthony Poindexter. As usual, on Wednesday evening, coming off the Penn State practice field, we dropped our VIP notes, uh, a collaborative effort uh, as always. And after getting eyes on the team, one of the headline notes in there for our VIP subscribers was that Kevon Lee was absent from the portion of practice that we're able to attend again 15, 20 minutes max in terms of what we can see on the practice field on these Wednesdays. But following the running backs around, everyone there except Kevon Lee, who got the start the first two weeks. It was Singleton last week. He continued his progression. But Kevon Lee was banged up early in that matchup, lower body issue, came back onto the field. Uh, so he did return to, to game action, but was not in the field uh, yesterday. And 
Um, I, I just say all this to, to note that James Franklin's unsure about his status for Saturday. So I think we already know we're going to see a lot of those two freshmen in Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, but we're not quite sure if Kevon Lee is going to be out there. Definitely follow our pregame coverage at lines247.com. We'll be noting any potential absences from the roster uh, in that matchup. But Daniel, before we leave the running back room and, and dive into some, uh, predictions and, and final thoughts on this matchup, what do you think about Devin Ford? Because you wrote this big article. Um, I don't know how big it was, but it was a, it was a very good article on Thursday morning about what Devin Ford told us. I know you had a conversation with him back in Beaver Stadium in August, but we got him for some media availability this week, and it was one of the more refreshingly candid conversations I think we've had with the Nittany Lion in recent memory. The, the thing that I go back to is when I talked to him in August, uh, I sort of just straight up asked him, I mean, why are you still here? Uh, why haven't you gone into the transfer portal? Um, you know, he's seen his teammates do it. You look around college football and you look at guys with his pedigree, top 100 recruit um, who, you know, things haven't gone as planned and he's still around. And he said that it never crossed his mind uh, as something that, that he wanted to do. Of course, Keziah Holmes told me the same thing. Uh, and a week <laughs> later uh, he, he was in the portal, but, you know, I think Devin Ford is at a really interesting a spot in his career. He told me that he didn't really expect to still be here four years later um, when I was talking to him in August. And he, he kind of came back to that a little bit on yesterday when we talked to him that he said that when he was younger, his grandmother told him that, that you finish what you start. And that's how he kind of views uh, his time at Penn state um, that he's finishing what he started. Um, and he's kind of settled into this role as the elder statesman. Um, who Penn State can turn to, like on that fourth and one uh, against Purdue, and then late against uh, Auburn to help kind of salt away that game. And then on top of that, he's got a key special teams role. Um, at the same time, though, he still has an edge, uh, and he still has, uh, you know, a competitive nature. Um, I think he had a quote that he told me in, in August where he was just like, you know, if you want something, you have to fight for it. And he's in that running back room. And even though there's this young talent in there that he's still fighting and that he still wants to play. And I think that he still has some confidence in himself. And I think that that showed up uh, late in his session yesterday when there was a, a question about Nick Singleton coming in um, and when he's been impressed and kind of offhandedly uh, Ford said, you know, he's competition as much as he's my teammate. So I think that even though Ford is, you know, from our perspective is, is in the back seat when it comes to that running room, I don't think he looks at it that way at all. And so I think that he's someone that whether or not he comes back for his COVID year or not, um, whether he likes to play that elsewhere or just what he decides to do, I think that he's someone that when you look at expectations versus the reality um, of his career at Penn State, from that 10,000 foot view, if you're you know, if you're an Ohio State fan or fan of on the West Coast and you just kind of look on paper, you can kind of say, oh, like that didn't really go as planned. This might have been a disappointment. But I think the people in the program for James Franklin, who shouted out Ford unprompted last weekend to Jay Sider, I think that Devin Ford is someone who when his time here is up, they're going to look at it really fondly and that he's going to be someone that Penn State can use as an example um, to guys to, to show what they can still do even if they see some adversity early, even if things don't necessarily go the way that they thought it would. And on, and on Wednesday, Ford reciprocated something that, that J1 Slater said back in August, said if he's a head coach somewhere and Devin Ford wants to be an assistant, he's going to hire him on the spot. And Devin Ford said the way his mind works, he's just learned he has a, a strong feel for this game. And, and I think he certainly has the personality uh, and wherewithal to be a part of a program moving forward. So uh, we'll see. We got, before we talk about him being the old guy moving on, he's got football to play. And uh, we may see him be a factor immediately in this week. Just a reminder, week one, key fourth down catch uh, along the way as Penn State uh, got that win on the road in Big Ten play. Mark, let's get into what we're going to see in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. The plan is to honor the 1982 National Championship team. Uh, there should be a palpable buzz. I know it's not a great matchup, but coming off of the Auburn game, you'd think uh, that right now Penn State fans are riding a high, um, and, and you'd think that for at least the first three quarters of this game, it's going to be a pretty packed house on Saturday. What do you think, though? Can this be a game where there is kind of uh, some concern in the fourth? Or are you chalking this up one as uh, Vegas being right and that four-touchdown spread being accurate? I think Vegas was wrong. I mean, the line opened at 25, and I'm thinking, boy, that's like stealing money for anybody who's 
into betting, but I think everybody w- was looking at that Oklahoma State game, and I, I brought up the, the the scoring rundown of Oklahoma State versus Central Michigan uh, just so people know what happened in that game. So the final score was Oklahoma State 58-44. The score at halftime was Oklahoma State 44-15. to the, the the score early in the third quarter was Oklahoma State 51 to 15. So Oklahoma State kicked it into cruise control and give Central Michigan credit. I, I really like the fact that this is a team that went in to a power five opponent and is getting its head handed to it. It keeps fighting and keeps playing. You have to believe that James Franklin and the coaching staff have let that message be known that this this team is going to be physically overmatched across the board. There are a couple players who are really good who I think could play just about anywhere uh, in college football, but across the board, Central Michigan is going to be overmatched. But they are not going to give up, and they are going to fight. And I think that could be a really good thing because if Penn State does get up big and you get backups in – you don't want them playing against guys who are rolling over. You want them to keep fighting and, and, and punching and clawing and kicking, and that's what they did to their credit against Oklahoma State. So I actually think, you know, for one of these non-con matchups, I think this is a good matchup, and, and, and you know, let's see how it goes. But clearly, when you have a defense that gives up 44 points and a half and, and 51 early in the, in, the fir- in the third quarter, you know, Oklahoma State's good, but – you know, that that's Penn State is not going to have trouble scoring in this game. Let's put it that way. And I think the onus is going to be on the defense and especially the backup defensive players when they get in there to keep uh, what's a, a, a decent, a, a good offense uh, from doing what it was able to do against Oklahoma State late. I think even more alarming when you look at the defensive matchup for uh, Central Michigan here is what happened in their home opener. I mean, plenty of Defenses have been boat raced in Boone Pickens Stadium by Oklahoma State over the years, but they gave up uh, 31 points before halftime against South Alabama. That's a game where they're favored, actually. I think that it was a four, five, six-point margin, but they were favored in that matchup. They ended up losing uh, 38 to 24, but they were down 31 to 10 at the half. So it was another game where they're playing catch-up. That's kind of been their mo. But I, I quickly want to take people back and you know, last year is last year. With each game, it, it gets more meaningless. What, what happened last year? But Central Michigan was a nine-win team last year. They did beat a Pac-12 program uh, in their bowl game. And their head coach, you know, not too long ago, was leading the Florida Gators program. And people thought he was doing a pretty good job until the the wheels fell off. And he was not doing a good job. But, Daniel, uh, obvious strengths are across the board here for the Nittany Lions. But what stands out to you as something that just seems so easily exploitable and accessible for Penn State in the matchup? Just that offense versus defense matchup when you look at the, the Penn State offense against uh, the Central Michigan defense. Um, James Franklin had some praise for the Central Michigan defensive backs. Um, I think they have some interesting players back there, um, and they've already been tested by a team that, that likes to throw it, like Oklahoma State. Um, obviously, they did not pass that test, but um, it, it's something that they've, that they've seen before. Um, so I just like the Penn State offense here, uh, especially what they're coming off of um, and what they did at Auburn. Um, I think that this is the type of thing where they can carry that momentum over. Um, this is the type of game where Katron Allen, Nick Singleton are going to be able to to break the runs that you want to see um, in the gap between a Big Ten team um, and a MAC team. So I just think that the offense, you know, given what Central Michigan has done or hasn't done, uh, I think it's looking like just a really good matchup and um, just I think there's going to be a lot of points uh, from Penn State, a lot of trips into the end zone. And, you know, maybe it'll be some more guys like we saw against Ohio, uh, some younger guys getting their their first time in the end zone at Beaver Stadium. There's not a lot of places to hide for defenses right now against what Penn State is bringing to the field with its ability to go long distance on you through the ground the perimeter matchups in place, but I'm surprised guys. We just spent all this time talking about how exciting things are defensively. And we just glossed right over what they can accomplish against a Mac team. I mean, how about this? You pile up. What was it ended up being seven sacks. I think they tacked one on for Jordan Vanderberg upon further review, but coming off a game where you, you answered a lot of questions about, 
can Penn, can Penn State generate a pass rush? And now you're in a situation where, yeah, this team's had to play a lot of catch up and they've got some veteran presence at the quarterback spot to Central Michigan. Uh, uh, but I'm looking at this as just, man, this could be a feast situation as the game progresses. And that could really involve some of the younger components that we've discussed. Uh, and and I, it's pretty exciting to think about how that could kind of play out as this game moves on. Yeah, Tyler, you, you mentioned it going into the Auburn game, you know, wondering, did Manny Diaz have a few tricks uh, kind of in his back pocket that that we had not seen yet? And, and obviously, you know, I think he did. I don't think you go from having, what was it, two or three sacks, whatever it was on the season, to having seven in, in one game. And then all of a sudden, the turnovers started to click for them. So now... You know, I'm sure there are still some things, you know, deep in his bag of tricks that he didn't have to bring out because that game turned out to be a little bit more lopsided. But I would really expect, you know, them to to, to get after it in some different ways, do some of that unique blitzing, bring pressures from different areas uh, just to refine and kind of hone those things that they're going to have to do as the season as the season goes along. And obviously, uh, Lou Nichols is a really good running back. Uh, I mean, only averaged 2.8 against Oklahoma State, but I think a a lot of teams from uh, the MAC would struggle, you know, running the ball in in that kind of environment. Uh, But he can do some damage, and I think it'll be a nice test for uh, those linebackers and secondary uh, to to prove, you know, how efficient they are at at, with their tackling skills. So, uh, you know, a couple of weapons on this team, but just not enough, I, I think, to 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 really pose a serious threat to Penn State. Nichols hit almost 1,900 rushing yards last year. That that led all of FBS. This year, looking through his log a little bit, he's at 258 total yards, guys. 166 of them came on 30 carries last week against an FCS opponent in Bucknell. He was bottled up for 15 carries, 20 yards against South Alabama, one touchdown. I mean, you talked about going sub three yards per carry against Oklahoma State, 1.3 yards per carry on 15 attempts against South Alabama that next week at home. Is, is again, that that's raises a red flag, and he's having to work for these yards. He had 26 carries to get to 72 yards at Oklahoma State. Uh, that's a lot of carries, by the way, when you're getting smoked out of the building. And then 30 carries against an FCS opponent, I'm pretty sure that's not what you'd love to do the week before you play Penn State is to tack 30 carries on your primary guy. I don't know why they needed to do it, uh, but they won 41 nothing, I believe. That, to me, is really concerning that he's not coming to this game with, with a you know head full of steam based on recent performances. But looking towards potential concerns, I guess, in this game, to me, I'm going to go to quarterback, and it's Daniel Richardson. To me, when we've seen Penn State open the door a little bit uh, or leave it ajar for, for a lower-level opponent to, to make some kind of upset bid or to keep the game closer deep into the second half, it's been because the opposing quarterback – was able to get on a hot streak, was able to get comfortable in Beaver Stadium. Maybe as the game goes on, the crowd gets a little less involved. He finds a rhythm. We've seen that play out before. When it gets away from the opposing team, it's when the quarterback is shaken up. They're using two or three quarterbacks because no one can figure it out. We've also seen that happen. But Daniel Richardson, he was the starter last year. I already talked about it. They won quite a few games. He was in some big moments for this team. Um, He's piled up some pretty impressive numbers. A lot of that is, I guess he could qualify it as garbage time, but uh, he's at almost 900 yards, uh, seven touchdowns through the air, and a couple picks. This is like the biggest thing for me if you want to make this a, a bury them early game is for Penn State's pass rush to get in his face. I talked about it. Keep keep the bad vibes going for what New- Lou Nichols is doing on the ground. Because to me, if you get D- Daniel Richardson, have some momentum, string some series together, whether it's a field goal or even just moving into into you know midfield and, and kind of turning the, the field position game around, that's where you could let this game linger on longer than you'd like it to. I, th- I think the biggest concern is what we talked about with Oklahoma State doing what, what Mark mentioned that seemed like Oklahoma State kind of kicked it into cruise control and and let uh, let Central Michigan work its way back into the game. Uh, I think that that's kind of what you have to watch because a 21 point lead can become a seven point lead or a 10 point lead pretty easily. Um, you know, when those starters go to the sideline. You don't want to see any any movement uh, in the second half in, in terms of guys warming up, guys having to come back in. Um, so it's hard to find a, a specific matchup, um, you know, when you look at how these teams match up. I mean, in the passing attack, Central Michigan does have a, a big bodied wide receiver who's had a little bit of success this year. Um, and but with Lou Nichols not 
really being at the same level he was a year ago um, and kind of what this offense hasn't been able to show, what the defense hasn't shown. It's hard to pick a kind of a a matchup weakness for Penn State, but I think that it'll kind of come down to beating themselves, what they run into um, if they do take their foot off the gas, if they do leave that door open, you know, midway through the third quarter. I think that that's really the the only cause for concern uh, that I have going into this one. Well, Mark, isn't this just that next hurdle for this team that it needs to clear to prove itself? Uh, you're 3-0. and yeah. Everybody's giving you love. You're on the rise in the rankings. People are, are, are throwing love at every single player on your roster. It seems like uh, the Eli Manning stuff's going viral. For you to channel all that out, not drink your own Kool-Aid too much and get on this field and assert your will early, I think that's going to be a challenge because that, that that's going to be a test. Central Michigan, they're going to come in ready to fight. These teams always do. Uh, and to me, we're going to find out pretty early, is Penn State going in there and soaking up the atmosphere a little too much, or are they there on a business mission? Because um, it, it may take them to the second quarter to remind themselves about why they're there and what they want to accomplish, because that's the way college football works when you come off wins like the one they had down in Auburn last Saturday. Yeah, I thought Josh Pate made a, a great point, as usual. He's, he's, he's awesome. He does a tremendous job. But, you know, when he talked about uh, when Penn State has won road games – you know, it's been a knife fight. It's been it, 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 Penn State's really had a scratch and claw, and to go to Auburn and, and blow out the Tigers was it, it sure looks like a step in the development of the program. And to your point, Tyler, I think coming off of that, coming back with a noon kick, where I don't know how many people are going to be in that stadium. You know, just to be self-motivated and take care of business. You, you've made your jump up into the into the rankings. Let's see how focused you can be. And that's where that's why I, I was so big on that Oklahoma State game because I really do think that the coaching staff could say, "Guys, listen, this is a good Oklahoma State team. You know, this is a, a top twenty-five, top ten team, and they." left their foot off the gas as daniel said they they relaxed a little bit and these guys were right back in it so not really right back in it but you know they made it more interesting than it should have been but but so that that's where i think this is another test and it's another it's another step in the evolution of this program getting back to where it wants to be uh to to be able to just take care of business in this kind of game and not make it like the villanova game last last year All right, guys, let's talk about players to watch. We've done this each week. We've each picked one. Uh, Daniel, let's begin with you on the Penn State side. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with Zane Durant. Uh, We we talked to John Scott Jr. uh, Thursday morning. Uh, He had some really interesting things to say about Durant learning how to be a defensive tackle in college football in the Big Ten. Uh, I think if this game goes the way that we think it does, we're not going to see a lot of P.J. Mustafer. We might not see a lot of Hakeem Beeman. We might not see a lot of Devon Elise. So I think we could see a lot of Zane Durant, Jordan Vandenberg, um, some of that depth on the interior. Um, and I think that this is kind of the the matchup where, you know, given what we've heard about Durant's athleticism um, and his length and just kind of, hit, I mean, he, he passes the eye test in so many ways. Uh, I saw him down on the field before the, the Auburn game, and he's just, Built. Like, I don't really think there's a lot of guys on the Penn State roster that just kind of look like him. Um, and so I think this is where we could see him, you know, really make an impact early um, when he gets on the field, really make some things happen. And I think that, you know, we saw Deny Dennis Sutton get into the backfield uh, for his first sack last week. Uh, and I think Durant could follow him this week. Mark? You know, I I, I I feel I have to go with the wide receiver just because his pass defense is so bad. So, <laughs> I'm going to go with Keandre Lambert Smith. You know, I I think it's time for him to start putting everything together. I mean, he flashes. It's so cool to see the stuff that he can, he can do, but he just has to be more consistent. And I I think this would be a really nice opportunity. I mean, you have to imagine central Michigan is looking at Parker Washington and looking at Mitchell Tinsley. And, you know, I'm just thinking maybe, this is an opportunity for Keandre Lambert Smith to kind of start to establish himself as a more consistent type player, because again, God knows that when he flashes, he flashes big, but he just has to be more consistent. So I would look for him to have uh, a big first half in this game, maybe a touchdown or two and, 
Uh, I don't know why I'm going with him, but I'm just I was thinking of which receiver could could really pop in this game. And I think he has an opportunity to do it with some of the things he can do getting deep against this defense. I think you're probably on the right track picking someone involved in the passing game for, for this matchup. <laughs> right. I'm going to, yeah, uh, I'm actually going to circle back to the defensive line and go with another true freshman um, because I think he's sharpening his teeth week by week, a big way last week and denied Dennis Sutton to me, maybe due for one of those multi-sack performances. Cause I think he's going to get a lot of run. I anticipate central Michigan's going to be dropping back and throwing the ball a bunch and I just don't see them being able to counter a, a, a guy like Denai off, off the edge repeatedly. Um, I think John Scott touched on it today and, and just how quickly his pass rush uh, proficiency has developed. Um, he's always been a guy that has elite level work ethic. That was the case in high school. It has absolutely carried over to what he's doing. And, and that seems to be a common trend for a lot of these high level freshmen, which is a great thing for the future of this program. Uh, but to me, he, he's kind of like that stick of dynamite that you've been waiting to see. Boom. I think we got an early look at Auburn. He's going to remind folks, hey, there's another five star guy you signed for the first time ever. Penn State signed three 24 seven sports five stars. Nick Singleton has had his time in the spotlight. He'll probably continue to do that. Drew Aller should play a lot again if things go according to plan. But to me, I think that I, Dennis Sutton is going to remind folks about how special he is and can be. Um, and I think that's going to happen over the course of this matchup. So uh, he won't we'll be denied. Lot. He won't be denied. <laughs> there it is. Thank you, Mark. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I was thinking Abdul Carter, but at this point, it feels way too on the nose. I think uh, I think everyone has been talking about Abdul Carter as a player to watch for a while, especially this week. So figured it was le- better to focus elsewhere. But doesn't it feel like we may be going from that hype train going 20, 25 miles an hour right now to maybe next time we get together for a podcast, it'll be going full steam ahead, right? So uh, we'll find out a lot about the freshman class on Saturday, a lot more. Um, But guys, it's prediction time. Uh, Penn State, again, four touchdown favorite entering the matchup. Mark, you and I, 3-0 on the season in our predictions. Uh, Daniel hit a bit of a snag in his debut pick with lines 24-7. Uh, so with that in mind, we'll start at the bottom of the standings and let you go first here, sir. <laughs> there, there's not a lot of talk about the the parallels between uh, last year and this year in terms of starting the season uh, with, with a close road win, getting the MAC team week two, beating Auburn in week three. But I think we've talked about it. The parallels stopped uh, after that Auburn game with how it happened. And so you know that Villanova game last year had kind of been sticking in my head a little bit. That's when we kind of realized that even though this team was 4-0, there's a lot of underlying issues. There's some things that could come back to haunt them, uh, given what they weren't able to do against an FCS team. And that kind of bore out um, with some some help from some injuries down the stretch last year. Um, I really don't foresee that happening this year. Um, I think they that's such a complete performance last year, last week at Auburn. I think the young guys that are going to get a lot of playing time I think they're really hungry. They really want the opportunity, um, especially on on defense. When you look at the number of true freshmen and and redshirt freshmen that are there. So I think Penn State's going to take care of business. I've got 48-14 Penn State. Um, I don't think they let Central Michigan back into it. Mark, what do you got for us? Yeah, you know, I'll piggyback off of that. I, you know, I think one of the issues for Central Michigan is going to be how deep Penn State is, and you can't expect those 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 backup players. It, I, it's not like they're going to come in and not play well because they have been playing well so far uh, this season. So I'm looking at a lopsided score: 54 Penn State, 16 Central Michigan. Uh, again, I, I think the the coaching staff is going to look at that Oklahoma State game. Just get that message across that you cannot let up against this team. And as you mentioned, Tyler, this is another stepping stone to prove that, okay, you can win on the road. You, you, you've won a, in a, tuple, a couple of tough environments. You had a blowout win on the road against a Power 5 team, against an SEC team. Now it's time to come home, take care of business in a noon kick. And let's see if this team's able to do it. I think this is an important game for Penn State. I don't think it's in danger of losing this game, but I think it could lose momentum if it doesn't play well wire to, to, to relatively wire. Because I think when you get to, to the super deep into the depth chart, it'll be understandable if some of those kids struggle. But I just think it's important that they put together a good, solid effort through most of the day to keep this momentum going because you don't want to go into big return to big 10 play, not playing at your best. 
Yeah, I'm entirely with you guys on on a lopsided score. I'm a little bit of a different opinion on maybe thinking some teaching moments and coming out of this matchup wouldn't be a bad thing for Penn State. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be the worst if this was where they had a letdown quarter or a letdown kind of half. No one wants to see that play out. I don't feel like covering that kind of a half at Beaver Stadium. But for James Franklin to be able to address it and hammer it home and kind of convince these guys that they haven't arrived just yet before they dive into Big Ten play and before they get into their off week and what and what awaits after that, I don't think it would be the worst thing. With that in mind, look, this is a Central Michigan squad that has given up more than 500 yards to both Power Five or both FBS opponents, including South Alabama, 58 total first downs, and then you marry that to the fact that Penn State right now, just their dynamic ability on offense is at a level it hasn't been uh, for almost three years at this point. So I think it's going to be a big day for the air uh, through the air after seeing the ground game take over against Auburn. Uh, give me at least four touchdowns combined. That's right, combined for Sean Clifford, Andrew Aller, who I think we'll see a nice dose of again. Um, and I think they just won't quite play as sharp of a 60-minute span as we saw a couple weeks ago against Ohio when I thought they were really buttoned up. It may have been one of the, the finest performances from a James Franklin team I've seen, especially in a situation where you get up early and you want to close out the game while balancing getting experience for younger guys. I just don't envision things being quite as sharp to this time and do it in part to the natural way that college football works coming off a win like they experienced last week. So sign me up for a 48 to 22 win for Penn State. I guess I don't have them covering that for a touchdown spread, but I've got them going to 4-0 and, and making it look fairly easy along the way. Um, guys, we'll see what happens. If, if, the, if anything goes awry, we'll certainly be back to talk about it. But if things go according to plan, as we predict, We'll have a, an unbeaten team rolling into October uh, to cover on the Penn State beat. So not something a lot of people necessarily saw coming. Uh, we'll talk about it in our postgame podcast. Uh, will Daniel and I coming out of Beaver Stadium Saturday. Of course, a ton of content coming your way between now and kickoff. But we're going to get into it with recruiting for, uh, for the rest of the show. So I'll bid you guys farewell. Thanks, as always, for hopping on. Great to be here, as usual. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. As promised, we got a recruiting to discuss. Penn State has another visit weekend coming up, including an official visitor uh, from, from Florida. So we'll get into all that right now with Tyler Calvaruzzo. He's been covering it all for us at lines247.com. Of course, our VIP subscribers already in the know on what to anticipate in the coming days and what's going on on the recruiting trail. And keeping tabs on a few recruiting trails these days, the 2024 class becoming more of a priority, 2025 starting to pop up more. Tyler, let's start with it, though. Penn State back at home on a Saturday. That means recruits back in Beaver Stadium on a Saturday. It does. And, you know, granted, it's not going to be as big of a weekend as the Ohio game, which, you know, is kind of expected considering the, the turnout that Penn State had for that game. You know, there were a lot of priority recruits on campus for the home opener. Not so much this weekend, but that doesn't mean this weekend's a wash by any stretch. I mean, you got Edwin Joseph coming up from Florida for his official and. His, we discussed him a bunch on this pod, and he's really gotten off to a strong start in his senior year. There's been an uptick in interest from Penn State and all the really all the other programs in his recruitment as well. We're talking about a guy who has an offer from Miami now, an offer from Florida State, Louisville offered, and that's just since the beginning of this month. So he's really experienced kind of a mini boom is what I would call it. And Miami is the crystal ball favorite for Joseph at this point. That offer came in. He got on campus multiple times already after that offer. I mean, and like I said, that offer came in early in the month. So he's already been to Coral Gables a couple of times since then. So it's pretty obvious where his interest in the Hurricanes is at. But Penn State definitely still has a chance here, and there's a couple of reasons why. The first of which is just the fact that although Penn State maybe hasn't necessarily been pushing for Joseph at certain points in his recruitment, you know, guys like other guys like Carmelo Taylor and Michael Mays have kind of taken priority at certain points. Joseph's been a guy they've been monitoring and they've been in pretty frequent contact with him. It's not like, you know, they went and forgot about him. Now they're coming back to him now. There's been frequent contact. And Joseph has appreciated that the staff has been on and in on him longer than a lot of other programs that are recruiting him hard now. So him getting to campus for the official is big because while I think Miami has put itself in a pretty good spot in a short amount of time, you know, credit to the staff there for accomplishing that. And there's a lot of pull given that, you know, it's a local school. Him coming to campus and hearing the staff out and taking in that game day environment, it's something that he's told me he wanted to do for months, and now he's finally getting there to do it. So I think there's an opportunity for Penn State to make a pretty big move and maybe reestablish itself as his visitor. That might be a little bit of a stretch given the way things have played out recently. 
But I think the fact of the matter is Penn State is a program that is going to be on Joseph's mind as he comes to his decision. So he's the big fish coming to campus this weekend, and we're going to be keeping a really close eye on what transpires with him. Just, you know, Penn State trying to round out this 2023 recruiting class. Lenny Joseph would be a pretty good way to add to the group late in the cycle, I would say. We've seen Penn State hit with commits uh, based on 48 hours on campus making this trip. I mean, don't even have to look away from the school he's at, Shaman Amadana. Exactly. That's where John Dunmore was. I think the 2019 recruiting cycle did not last with the program long, but he was a four-star recruit. One weekend, an official visit in the summer convinced him. It was a tipping point of sorts to get to come on board with Penn State. But with Edwin Joseph, I think the timing of this is interesting because he's the only official visitor in town. We've been used to seeing guys get bunched up. You'll have some commits. You'll have some targets, guys from across the country. It's kind of a free-for-all. Everybody spends a ton of time together. I'm not sure what Penn State exactly has lined up from an itinerary standpoint, but there is a major opportunity from my vantage point where they're going to be able to make an intimate setting for Joseph and whoever makes this trip with him and send them home feeling like they were a true priority rather than someone who was part of a crowd. It kind of reminds me of the Jason Moore visit in that sense. I know fans probably don't want to hear that because Jason Moore obviously didn't wind up committing to Penn State and wound up choosing the Buckeyes. But Penn State did a really good job of creating that kind of intimacy on Moore when he was the only guy on campus for his official back in early June. And they're going to, I think they, they're probably going to look to replicate that with Joseph. And I think there's, you know, the staff does a pretty good job of doing that when it gets the, the rare opportunity to just have like one official visitor. They did it last weekend with Zion Trey, two weekends ago with Zion Tracy. And that was a big reason why he wound up committing. They, they pulled it off that they showed him, Hey, look, this can be a place for you. You're we're putting all of our focus on you right now. And that, that left a mark on Tracy and his family. And I think the same thing can happen with Joseph, especially as a Florida kid, you know, he's going to have a lot to learn about the region and just state college while he's on campus. So there's going to be a lot for him to take in and Penn State's going to be able to concentrate on him and put all of its effort into saying, Hey, look, Miami's a great opportunity for you. So are we, we might be an even better opportunity. We've already put the disclaimer out there. It's not as uh, robust of a list for mm -hmm. this recruiting weekend as we've seen, uh, in, you know, for past games and for the home opener and what we'll see in the future. But it doesn't mean there aren't high impact potential prospects uh, in this group. And I think uh, one that was uh, reported earlier and, and Brian Doan has a story up uh, you know, co conversing with him, but an in-state lineman making the trip at the 2024 class and uh, a guy who got an offer, what, less than two weeks ago. Yeah. David Pollard Polly from Hempfield. So, his, his connection with Penn State goes back to the summer. He camped at the final Elite Showcase camp in late July. That's where he really caught the coaching eye. He was already on the radar. Obviously, he was there. But, you know, he went out there and he shined in front of John Scott Jr. And that caught his eye. And I think that they wanted to see some early season film. They saw that film. That prompted the offer. And him getting on camp, this is going to be his first time taking in a Penn State home game in person and he's really looking forward to that you know just taking in the environment he's gonna make the trip with his family he's really excited about it and you know local product really high interest in the program that really I, i've said it time and time again that that relationship is still coming along it's still very in its early stages they're getting to know each other they're getting comfortable with each other but there's a lot of interest from poly poly here and I, I think penn state if it continues to like what it sees from him you know just as a physical standpoint on film you could see a guy who might wind up in the 2024 class, depending on how things play out. You know, it, we're just going to have to wait and see what comes about. But as far as the recruit interest goes, it's high right now, and it's probably going to continue to be high. The foundational member and still the only member of that 2024 class is an offensive lineman, Cooper Cousins out, out of Western PA. He's a top 24-7 prospect. By the way, it's his birthday today, so happy birthday to Cooper Cousins. But uh, when we look across the list, that will, I'm sure, develop more between now when we record on a Thursday afternoon and, and noon kickoff, and you'll be updating the folks at Lines 24-7. But what anything else stand out to you uh, in terms of how things are getting generated going into the weekend for this list? I think people kind of need to realize that, you know, when you're playing a lower level non-conference opponent, you know, the, the Ohio game worked out for Penn State in a couple of regards. They had the Tom Lemming photo shoot. So a lot of the top regional guys were already in the area. And then they got the chance to head over to campus, take in the game after. So that was a big reason why that visitors list wound up being as big. That was, as was. That was fortuitous, man. They yeah. needed to happen on an annual basis. That was like the perfect storm for James Franklin and his staff. When he found out that was happening, I could only imagine what his reaction was. He was probably like, holy cow, I really got an opportunity to get these guys here now. And, a lot and by the way, like that. 
By the way, Tom Lemming, uh, for those who don't know, like an, an absolute OG in the recruiting the field, the guy who's still still he's got boots on the ground everywhere. So I just kind of people are probably like, who the hell is Tom Lemming? So there we go. <laughs> but and the thing is, like, people are like, oh wow, well, this visitor's it, it's a weaker weekend, and yeah, sure, that's gonna happen. But October is gonna be a fun visit month. We got the whiteout game. We got Ohio State coming to town. So I mean, all the top guys are gonna be there for those games. There's more of a draw to visit for those games than there is the Central Michigan game. Like That's just the fact of the matter. And there's also the fact that Rutgers is playing Iowa this weekend. So a lot of the regional recruits, frankly, they'd rather take in a nice Big Ten matchup between two teams who haven't lost a game yet as opposed to Penn State Central Michigan. So, look, is it a quieter weekend? Yeah, but there are going to be noisy weekends on the horizon. There are going to be a lot of them in October, and we're going to be all over that. I'm looking forward to it, man. There are going to be a lot, a lot of guys who are high on the board visiting in October. Well, just because a bunch of prospects aren't coming to Penn State this weekend doesn't mean that Penn State coaches aren't going to see prospects, and that is always the case. They sneak in this these Friday travels. It's always hard to imagine where they find time to gain some kind of rest and recharge the batteries, but I, I know that'll be the case again this Friday, right? Yeah, so we're going to have James Franklin and Juwan Sider. They're going to be out on the road. They're going to be down in Virginia. They're going to be checking in with three 2023 commits. They're going to be with Birchmeyer. They're going to be checking in with Tony Rojas and Anthony Donka. So, that, you know, that's a good chance for the staff to get out there, check in with his guys. You know, I know James Franklin loves doing that. He loves getting out there. He did it with Ajani Shakir a couple of weeks ago. Took the helicopter down to South Jersey, checked in on him along with Terry Stovefield. So, and just, it, it, it's an opportunity for Penn State to also get eyes on some other guys who are out there obviously but the main goal of these trips is you know just check in show these guys some love and just enjoy you know watching their future players take the field for the final high school season so yeah those two are going to be out down in virginia there was an interesting set of circumstances last saturday because he had a penn state commit as a guest of yeah. auburn watching his future team take it to the home team and that was dakari nelson uh top 24 7 defensive prospect and um what are you hearing out of that experience for Nelson? And additionally, did Penn State make some inroads with maybe guys who were also in attendance and they saw what the Nittany Lions accomplished and maybe they left thinking maybe differently about what's cooking up in Happy Valley? So with Nelson making that visit, you know, the staff knew about it. There was no, you know, it wasn't really an issue in their eyes. No, no alarm bells went off inside of Lash, nothing like that. And leading up to the Auburn game, I wrote that that visit was kind of, not really a concern just in the sense that, yeah, he was checking out Auburn. He was. We're not going to, you know, rewrite history here. But it was also an opportunity for him to get a look at Penn State in person in a pretty convenient manner. And he got to do that. The visit wasn't really a concern beforehand in my eyes. And after checking in, coming out of the visit, it's even less mm. of a concern. I mean, well, what transpired on the field Saturday afternoon kind of speaks for itself in that regard. But it, I never really got the sense that Nelson was, you know, I said the same thing about the Ole Miss visit that he took in July. It wasn't really a needle mover for him. I didn't get the feeling this was ever going to be a needle mover for him. And that's not, you know, a crack at anything Auburn's doing. It's just his level of interest in Penn State. And then obviously he saw what happened on the field. So that game was for Nelson and others. It, it definitely, it definitely helps Penn State. Look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that results are the main things recruit looks at, you know, there's so many things that go into it. Facilities, opportunities, you know, for early playing time. Now we got to factor NIL in with some guys. So there's a lot. So does Penn State get off to a 3-0 start and, you know, going to SEC country and thrashing Auburn, despite, you know, what a lot of people were predicting that, that not to happen. Does that help with recruits from a perception standpoint? 100%, no doubt about it. And there are going to be guys who are going to give, you know, maybe give Penn State a little bit of a harder look now. They're saying, hey, look, 41-12, you know, going on the road. To a tough place to play and doing that. What do they have going on there? And they're doing it with a lot of young guys as well. So they're going to see that and say, hey, look, I might be able to get on the field early if I'm a guy. You know, th that's another point of injury for these guys. So I think the Auburn game was a positive on multiple fronts. You have the final score and you also have so many of the younger guys contributing and recruits are sitting at home watching that and they're saying, hey, maybe I could be one of those guys if I choose to go there. Yeah, Penn State assistant coach John Scott earlier today on Thursday said it's the freshmen are contributing. That's great for us, and that's great that recruits can see it because they'll know if Definitely. you can come here and understand your assignments, you can get on. The, you're not going to be held back just on just strictly on the reasoning of you being a first year player with the program. So exactly. that, that's something to build off of. And uh, 
speaking of building off of things here, um, early season success is, is one thing, uh, but but moving forward, there's that arms race that is ever present in college football. It extends to every aspect of the sport and beyond. And, and James Franklin brought up one of those topics uh, pretty pointedly uh, when he was discussing deny Dennis Sutton during his press conference early, earlier this week. You wrote a story off of this, um, and it's more the same from James Franklin. He is always going to be vocal about what he feels the Nittany Lions need to compete at the national championship level because he knows he's being held to the standard of competing for national championships. You got to love. He always, whenever he gets the opportunity to go on one of those tangents about getting the facilities and just, you know, keeping up with that arm race, he takes it. And he, he, he sent a pretty clear message with his words on Tuesday. You know, if we're going to be held to that standard, we have to have the facilities and just be able to compete with programs who are on that standard. And Auburn did good. They, they did a good job getting that facility built, you know, the single room dorms for their football players. I believe it was, that was what they recently got built around there. And Penn State doesn't have that right now. And there have been instances where we saw it with Dennis Sutton where they almost lost him because of that. And the bottom line is when you're already competing with blue blood programs, like in Dennis Sutton's case, Georgia was the main competitor. And there were just so many other powerhouses involved in that recruitment. And you're just not really on a level playing field in that sense. Like just not being able to pitch a single room dorm when the kid has that as his high school. And granted, it was a boarding school, but still, I mean, it puts Penn State at a disadvantage. And depending on who the recruit is, you know, Franklin mentioned that they actually wound up losing a kid because of that at one point. That kid is now in the NFL. So you, you just don't want to be losing re recruiting battles for really things that are considered basic at other programs. You know, like for other places, they have these facilities in place, and they think that's like, you know, that's bare bones kind of stuff. Like, this is what we do here. You know, and we're going to keep building on that. Penn State's still trying to get to that point. I think Franklin does a good job of pushing it. And honestly, I think having Pat Kraft here is going to be big in that regard. I think he sees the vision. I think he and Franklin are aligned pretty well. You know, they've made some strides in NIL since Kraft officially took over during the summer. And I think that's going to continue on other fronts as well. And those two, they talk a lot. And they're pretty aligned with where they want to go. And I think as long as Kraft and Franklin stay and they keep that vision, I think Penn State's going to be in a good spot. It might take some time. You know, it's not going to happen overnight for Penn State to be in that spot. But I think they're going to do what they have to do to keep up in the arms race. And, you know, as long as Franklin keeps pushing the issue, I think it's going to get done, at least in some capacity. Well, he has been absolutely crushing it uh, on the recruiting trail uh, since he started covering things with us at Lions 24-7. We always appreciate the perspective here on the podcast as well. A little bit less of you now that we're in season. But, of course, when anything pops up to talk about recruiting, you're back on with us. There'll be another home game to address, another list to get into next week as well. I know you're out and about at some high school games this weekend. I hope people follow your coverage at lines247.com during and after that coverage to, to see what you've got for us. But Tyler, I know you were busy at work, so I'll let you get back to it. And, and people check out his Thursday recruiting notebook, which just popped up right before he, he hopped on the mic with us. Yep. Hope you guys check that out, man. It's always great being on. Appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, a great group. You got the, the full arsenal of our full-time staff at Lions 24-7 today with Mark and Daniel and Tyler. Uh, I'm the other Tyler, Tyler Donahue, on behalf of our producer, Lance Glenn. Thanks to everyone for joining us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll talk to you Saturday with our post-game episode.